0: Today on episode number 334 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Andrew Isaac talks about how to learn, teach, and satirize with video. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Hello and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stehoviak. And this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. A couple of notes before I officially begin today's episode. I wanted to mention that today's conversation was had prior to the election day in the United States. Today's guest has, among many, many, many other things, made a video of him in 2025, coming back to talk to him in 2020. And I find myself right now wishing that I could have me from the time when this episode is going to air, talking to me now about how to open this episode. In fact, some of us on Twitter were talking about maybe making this episode a choose-your-own-adventure kind of deal where you could hear an intro based on whatever may have happened. But that's not possible, so I'm going to leave this all here for now. Today's guest was introduced to me by the Association of College and University Educators, or AQ. AQ's courses and community site feature many of teaching and learning's top experts, faculty developers, and practitioners to showcase evidence-based teaching practices. For many years now, AQ has connected me with great guests for the show, including today's guest, who I actually knew about well before they ever contacted me about him, and I'm so glad for you to get to hear our conversation. Andrew Isaac is a faculty member in the communication department at Santa Clara University. He studies communication in high-pressure situations, including firefighting, team sports, and public speaking. He also provides evidence-based communication coaching for professionals in areas such as presentational speaking and meeting effectiveness. Andrew, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed.
1: Hey, Bonnie. Thanks for having me.
0: You have one of those presences. Can you make presence plural? You have a presence. Do it where i just instantly felt like i knew you and i feel like people all over the internet feel like they know you because you created this video where i feel like so many faculty members felt seen can you take us back in time to the article that prompted whatever feeling it was that you had that got you to pull out the video camera and and tell a story around it
1: sure yeah it was um a a thursday i was teaching summer school and somebody had sent around this article. Uh, I mean, they were, they were not happy with the article, That basically the, the title of the article was, when students log on, they should see something professorial. I think that word really set people off because actually the content of the article was relatively reasonable. It's basically saying that, yeah, you should kind of curate your background and make sure things look nice. And I mean, I'm, I'm in favor of that. If you can do it, I think it's really good to do it. But I also think it kind of, uh, I th- I'd say it was not respecting the, the moment, you know, and we're, we're in a really difficult time right now. I mean, people are, they're trying to do this however they can. I'm lucky to have a spare bedroom, but people are like, you know, sharing space with their kids who are in school, who they have to take care of all the time, or their kids are not in school, which is probably even worse at this point, you know, if they're two or three years old. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it'd be great if we could all look professorial, but how about we just show up and make sure that students have class right now. I mean, that's how I felt about it. Immediately, I felt like this is going to be misunderstood and people are going to be frustrated about this. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't say misunderstood, it's just the interpretation of something that's telling me to look more professorial. I don't look professorial normally, right? What does it mean to look professorial? By the way, I think they actually changed that word in the title. I think they actually went back and edited it. I think they realized that that was not the right way to frame what they were doing. Um, And so that was a mistake, probably. But yeah, I I quickly decided to make a video. I was kind of inspired. That morning, somebody else had said, hey, I'm using Andrew's office hours video. And so I felt like, oh, this is good. People are actually using something that I made a couple years ago. So I was feeling very inspired that day by positive energy to make another video. And I just did it. It's very easy for me because I didn't have to go anywhere. Obviously, right now, I can't have people act with me. It's kind of challenging to do. So I just set up my camera right here. I'm in the same room I'm talking to now. And I recorded it. I cut it together in five hours. I posted it as a response to the Chronicles tweet and it just kind of took off. I think um, somebody named Kieran Healy, I think is how you pronounce his name, uh, retweeted it and that really helped. And then I wasn't expecting a lot of people to love it, but I was just shocked that like 100,000 people in a day watched it, which for me is a lot, probably not for a YouTuber, but you know what I mean.
0: It sure seems like a lot to me and i and I certainly heard about it so much in my circles, and I think you identified already two of the reasons why one is just let's question the premise: what does it yeah. mean to look like a professor a lot of people, depending on your gender, your race, ethnicity <laughs> you're you're already right. getting left out of when you google you know what does a professor look like exactly, and we want to say. A professor looks like me in a lot of different ways, a lot of different contexts. And then the second thing is, this is hard. <laughs> what we're doing, we're just yeah. barely able to make it on some days.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the that is a tough thing. Again, I'm I'm very fortunate. I have an eight and eleven year old. They are very self sufficient. We have a spare bedroom. I don't think this is the standard. I mean, what is the standard right now? People don't go into academia so they can make a lot of money, right? They're not something what they're doing. So it's not like people are sitting in there beautiful homes with an extra study that has, you know, wood paneling and lots of bookshelves. It just doesn't work that way. So I don't know. I just think, what does it mean to look professorial? I don't know what that means. It's great to have your background look nice, but I
0: don't know. So I got really intrigued by one part of your bio, and that is that you study communication in crisis contexts, firefighting, team sports high pressure right. situations. So I'm kind of curious, what could you share with us today that you're able to take from studying communication in high pressure situations into like teaching in COVID times?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, my research for the most part has been on uh, emergency response teams, firefighting teams, SWAT teams, emergency medical teams, things like that. And then when I was initially hired at Santa Clara University to teach there, uh, this is eight years ago, I was hired to head up the public speaking program. And those two things may seem different, but you know, they're actually quite similar. I mean, we're we're talking about people trying to communicate in situations in which they can't really redo their work. It feels like life or death when you're doing public speaking, although it's not actually life or death. And so they're they're quite similar. You know, to be to be prepared and to practice and to get experience, those are the things that matter the most. If you can do those things ahead of time, I mean, I'm constantly telling myself that, whatever I do today in my classroom is actually practice for tomorrow, like for the next class I teach. And I kind of frame it that way to say, look, I have to learn something so that next time I can do a better job. And that's what it comes down to when teaching. I mean, I've had times when I'm teaching when my internet goes out and I think, okay, now what is my response going to be? And the answer is that I always kind of, I have my email window open and I'm ready to send an email to my students very quickly if something like that were to happen. So communicating in, in high-pressure situations or kind of like time-limited, time-sensitive moments, it involves this kind of pre-planning, it involves experience, it involves thinking about, okay, what will I do if something goes wrong? And all those things are, you know, things I've learned from my research, but they are pretty applicable to teaching too. I mean, it's not just online, right? I mean, things go wrong all the time when we're in person in the classroom and we kind of have to think on our feet. Okay, what are we going to do now to make the rest of this time? valuable. So I think it's just a good strategy for teaching.
0: So I want to talk a lot more with you about that. And you have a whole project that you undertook that I'm so excited for us to explore a little bit, but I kind of want to ask, I'm not someone who enjoys debating, so I don't at all mean this to sound like a debate, but you Mm -hmm. don't seem like someone who overemphasizes preparation. And, And to be clear about what I'm saying, how I find you, I know how dare no, you kidding. insult I'm me just, in this. Just, no, 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 I love it.
1: I appreciate I love it. that. Thank you.
0: Well, because I work with a lot of faculty and they especially new ones, they think that they will be better teachers if they literally have over prepared to an extent that I yeah. I mean, I couldn't even sustain it when it was my first year in teaching, let alone now. So thinking thinking through things of like actually scripting out Or or the PowerPoint that has 17 bullets and they actually never get past slide one because there's 70, just not a, not, so it's, it's, I want to learn more from you in terms of, I think you're talking about a different kind of preparation than what might broadly be thought of as I have to script everything I'm going to say. I have to know in advance every question they might ask me because what would that look like if I were to get a question I couldn't answer? That would be so Mortifying, you know. Th- th- I think we're maybe talking about different kinds of preparation, and maybe you could yeah. could help because you again you are not reading from a script right now. You didn't ask me for questions in advance. I didn't have them to give you, so mm-hmm. that was easy. You know, you seem like you're able to have a combination of in the moment what's emerging, but there's obviously planning that happens too.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that, Bonnie. That's I, I appreciate that. I would say basically I am trying to game plan every time that I am in a situation where I'm gonna be teaching or a challenging situation or, you know, going on a trip, for example, traveling somewhere. When you travel somewhere, you say, hey, we wanna make sure we see this, this, and this. But if you planned literally everything you would do, it wouldn't work out because you're gonna have delays. You're gonna have things that are closed. You're gonna have things that don't work out the way you want them to. But what you wanna do is you wanna make sure you hit the highlights, right? Here are the three things we wanna make sure we do. Absolutely. We've made this dinner reservation. We have reservation for this museum and we're gonna spend this evening cruising on this river, right? And those are the things we have to do. If nothing else happens, we're gonna do those things. And then you're aware of the time, and then you're aware of the people that are, you're traveling with, or in this case, now kind of taking the analogy here to teaching, you're aware of your audience, you're aware of the students. So that's really the three-part thing that I'm doing. It's what are the key points I need to hit? What is the time right now? Be aware of the time, and be aware of your audience. So if they are, if you see them just losing it, they're not, you know, they're not focused on what we're doing. It's like when you coach little kids, you say, all right, water break. Let's get a water break, right? And regroup because you just have to be aware of how they're experiencing that moment. And so for me, I don't script things out when I teach. I also don't go into a class not having prepared anything. I actually have kind of a loose, I don't even want to call it an outline. I have three or four main points I want to hit with some notes underneath each. If I don't get to some of the notes on some of them, that's fine. I will sometimes take those notes and send them to them, send them send to my class later. But it's all about hitting the key points and being aware of the time. If you can do those things, I think that's the way to prepare for, for teaching.
0: I have a lot of experience playing soccer, which is to say approximately three months when I think I was six years old. <laughs> I have a picture of okay. it too. But I, I do like this analogy of a game plan because you can't plan out what the game's going to look like. Exactly. But you can, in most sports that I can think of right now, have a rough estimate of timeframes. Now, some games can go a lot longer than you might plan. They can go shorter, but I mean, some sort of way of gauging time, some sort of way of gauging different scenarios that could happen. Yeah, within a a game. I don't know, is there like a particular sport that you like to have analogies from a lot or something that you're most familiar with? Because, you know, I could do them all right now, I say rather sarcastically.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, frankly, this is actually part of the reason I study what I study is because I I was interested in sports and my advisor kind of pushed me in a different, a Mm. similar to, it's like a similar direction, but not sports. I mean, think about firefighting teams. Think about a surgical team. Yeah, They don't panic, right? They don't say, Oh, I've never seen this before. What's going on? They they kind of they have experience and they go okay. Well, what's the goal here? What are we trying to do? What's the important thing? We got to remove this. We got to take care of this. We got to not do this, right? So whatever the situation is, we still have our focus on those things. I know there are times I've played sports and I get lost in the moment of the adrenaline, or when I when I've given a talk and I get lost in the moment of they call it being like lost in the fog right? It's like, what's going on? What's happening? Somebody asked a question in the middle of my presentation, what am I supposed to do? And then you kind of get thrown off your game plan. And so when I teach, especially now that I'm teaching, um, I have a screen in front of me, I have my, you know, kind of my game plan, so to speak, on the screen right next to me. And I actually have kind of time markers. I teach 45 minute classes. I don't really go longer than that because I try to use the modules more because it just, I don't think students can pay attention on Zoom that much longer. And I have kind of like, this will take 15 minutes, this will take 10 minutes if I'm going way over, I go, all right, I'll write you more about that later. Let's move on to the next thing. But yeah, it's all about kind of being flexible, being able to improvise, but having that structure in place.
0: I love that you brought up surgery. One of the most memorable books that I've read in the last 10 or so years was by Atul Gawande, The Checklist Manifesto. Right. And all the lives that have been saved over something as simple as Today, we're here to operate on this individual's right leg and, and that everyone has an opportunity to introduce themselves, talk about the purpose of why we're here. And that can really make class planning go such a long way so that in the moment, if something went a little bit long and you're not, you have to kind of juggle things on your own, yeah. you have enveloped the students in some way. And why are we here today? What is the main purpose of it? And then, of course, you have that plan. Sometimes people will share those plans and their classes are a little bit more structured, I think, in terms of people who teach in STEM and they've got a specific, you know, it's going to be seven minutes for this and five minutes for that. And I I sometimes have to do that for myself, but literally, especially using breakout rooms on Zoom, me and that something that I think is not going to take that long. I need to explain it. I need to have a title slide on there that also explains what we're doing. And it always takes longer than I think. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah, well you
1: brought up a good point about the checklist manifesto. The idea of being structured beforehand and kind of having an idea of okay, here are the things I have to do to get ready as well. Yeah. That's also another good way to prepare. And and knowing like what you said that the breakout rooms are going to take longer than you think. They're not going to be as active as you think, right? So have a have a backup plan, you know. I I've been for me I use the the chat a lot, chat feature to say okay, I'm asking questions. I know y'all don't want to speak up. I'm going to call on somebody first, but By the time I'm done talking with them, I do want to see two or three questions in the chat. And so I'm kind of giving a, it's a backup, right? I'm giving kind of another outlet to get that. I just think it's good to have that kind of knowing the structure coming in, but being able to be flexible.
0: So I want to talk more about this project that you undertook because you really mean it when you say it practicing something getting better at it over time and that's not just something you say that's something that you lived for 52 weeks would you tell yeah. us about your project of creating 52 videos in 52 weeks maybe you yeah, were I, off by a smidge i don't even know I don't
1: yeah yeah calendar. so at the end of 2017 i was feeling like you know i enjoyed academic publishing to, i don't know one percent maybe i did it because i had to do it and i just I didn't love it. And uh, I saw that around my department, there are people who are using film. Now, these are people who are in the film, you know, they're in the film area. But I, kinda, I asked and I found out that I could use film as a way to do my scholarly output. I thought, you know, why am I not doing this? I've always loved working with video. Why am I not doing the thing that I love doing as opposed to doing the thing that I don't love doing? It's just kind of very simple thought. But my worry was that I wasn't going to be good enough and I didn't want to put stuff out that wasn't going to be good. So I was actually inspired by an, a guy who writes an online web comic. He released one comic a day for 365 days. And I thought, that's amazing. I loved the idea of just doing something because you tell yourself you have to do it and you put a deadline on it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do 52 videos in 2018. I'm going to release one every Wednesday. And I started doing it. And some of them were duds. Total duds. I put them out and like, I don't like this. It didn't really matter. I wasn't doing it for other people's approval. It was more like I did it and like, I got a lot of things wrong on that one. I wish I could redo this and redo this and redo the lighting and redo the script and I should have given better direction. A lot of things I screwed up on. And some of them I didn't and I thought, wow, that was fantastic. And I, you know, felt like I barely even planned for that one. And so they're all over the map. But the, the key thing was that I was doing them, I was just doing the things because. You know, if you do them, then you're eventually going to get better, right? It's I mean, assuming you do it with intent. And so I did one every week for 27 weeks. I tore my ACL in the middle of the summer playing basketball, and so it's kind of hard to work on videos when you're you know, I couldn't hold a camera and like squat. I couldn't walk backwards or anything like that. So I kind of took a month off and then finished the other 25 over the next 20 weeks or so. And oh, you did so many- catch you did catch up. I did yeah oh, I did wow. I did fifty two wow, yeah, yeah, and some of them like you know one of the videos, I mean, this is kind of like my my least effort I put in <laughs> one was a slow motion video of my son reacting in disgust to uh, a disgusting thing that he saw, so his face just kind of like contorting, so I kind of cheated by like you know a couple of videos, I put in probably like two or three hours of effort total on them on editing, but yeah, I, I got them all done, and at the end, I knew way more about lighting, audio, things I didn't really have an understanding of because I never had used lights. I had never used a microphone. I had never used an external microphone for videos. I had always done kind of like just, just the camera. And I learned so much about writing stories. I learned so much about how do you prepare when you actually go to a, uh, uh, like you're gonna have like a, a shoot. How do you get all your stuff together? And so I just learned all these little things in different ways and it's been so helpful for me because I actually got over this fear of showing people things and being judged by it. I don't care. If people want to judge what I see, I, I truly, this project has changed how I feel. I put things out. If you don't like it, okay, don't like it. I have 52 other videos you might like. You know, it doesn't really matter to me because I'm not making this just for you, right? I'm making it for me. And if you like it, that's awesome. That's great. And if you don't like it, I'm not going to worry about it too much. So it's given me a lot more confidence as well. And uh, I strongly recommend taking on a project like that doesn't have to be video, could be something like singing, could be something like writing short stories, anything. But doing something creative, it just felt really good and gave me a lot of confidence.
0: It's fun to hear your example of doing the discussed video because you could see perhaps, you know, your general audience that you think about. And I, I suspect you've probably refined that over time. And now with this viral sensation, probably even thinking about other opportunities for you yeah. with video and higher education, but I, I instantly, when you said that, I went to that there are people in psychology who study disgust. And you could bet that they would love to have a video like that to be able to show in their classes just to kind of introduce a topic. I mean, it'd be perfect for that. And that's kind of how I've thought about podcasting too, where like you, I had a real commitment to when we started back in June of 2014, I am going to produce an episode every single week. And it's kind of funny. There was, I don't remember if it was the Chronicle or Inside Higher Ed and it kind of doesn't matter which one it was, but I was l- literally offended when they said most weeks she airs. And, and I just wanted to go oh. most <laughs> weeks, like they're profiling my podcast. And that's like the thing I want to get hung up on. I wanted to yeah, go yeah. no, every single week. Cause I didn't tear my ACL. <laughs> and also you can still podcast even if I had, but but just no. It, if it was good, if it was bad. And there was one that I didn't think was going to be that good about course evaluations where someone wasn't able to do the interview at the last minute. So I said to my husband, "Uh, could we talk about course evaluations? And I ended up getting pretty emotional on that episode as we were reading through some of the qualitative, actually one specific qualitative comment. I had people writing to me from all around the world, like you, when you strike a chord. And people yeah. go, he sees me, he understands the pressure that I'm in, and then you want me to be professional here. <laughs> I'm yeah. giving you the best that I can, you know. And people, it really does resonate with people. But there would definitely be episodes that aren't going to resonate. Just like, and it, but it's that commitment to continue to create, to continue yeah. to be vulnerable. And some are going to resonate with the masses, and some are not. <laughs> but that's not something I think we cultivate very well in higher education. Right.
1: I agree with you. I don't think we do that. I think we think everything has to be a, a hit and it has to be, you have to do it right the first time. And you know, this video that I made about the the professor, you know, the professor's office, if I had not been working on videos for the last couple of years, I would not have known immediately which mic, which lens, how I want to set my camera up. I would not have known how I wanted to approach the camera. I wouldn't have been able to edit it in like an hour and a half, which was like one of the quickest edit jobs I ever did on a video, just because I knew when I was recording, I knew what to do to make my editing easier. You know, I give myself some hand signals and things like that. So I can kind of look through the timeline. Oh, I know exactly where I'm cutting. I'm cutting there. That was my best take, you know, and I cut it together really easily. That's just because i worked on it the last couple of years. So, you know, the one video you do or the one podcast you do may not be great, but then it helps you do something better in the future, which is kind of the point of doing it every week.
0: If someone doesn't have the time or inclination right now to spend a year getting to be really good at doing videos, what would you say are some of the most important lessons that you learned along the way that actually someone who doesn't already have the microphone external and the lighting, I I know those things are important, but are there other things that people could do today that would actually make a huge difference in what what they're doing?
1: And you're talking specifically about video, right? We're yeah, video, video. If I want to
0: make a video for yeah. my class, what? I, maybe yeah. even you could approach it at what mistakes would I be most likely to yeah. make thinking that time spent here is better than time spent here.
1: Sure. So I would say the most important things you have to do from a technical standpoint, the most important thing is audio. Make sure that your audio is good. You know that, Bonnie, <laughs> as a podcaster. <laughs> if your video doesn't look great or if it's your video is glitchy, It's okay, if your audio is glitchy, students will not wanna listen to what you're doing. You don't have to have a fantastic mic to do this stuff in the classroom. It does help. I have some videos online that are about, okay, maybe you wanna speak in a room that's carpeted. Maybe you wanna speak in a room that doesn't have like totally bare walls because it can actually be helpful for the sound. But what I would say is spend, you know if you're looking, I wanna spend a little bit of money on something, don't spend money on a camera. Don't spend money, spend money on a nicer, a slightly nicer mic that's in the 70 to 150 range. I'm using a lavalier mic that is $80 that the reason I'm using it is because I've used cheaper ones and they just don't really work that well. You get the scratchiness, you get things like that. So, if you just want if you're looking for a little place to spend like a little bit of money, spend it on a mic, get good audio that'll make all the difference for your videos from a technical standpoint. From a composition standpoint, two things. One thing is keep in mind the story and I mean that, not that you have to tell a story, but what is it that you're trying to say throughout the course of the video? And and sometimes it's good to start up front. I'm even thinking about like math teachers. It's like, okay, here's what we're trying to get out of this that, you know, I'm gonna, I don't know anything about math, that this equals this in any single case, right? Like you wanna say that early on and get them to understand here, here's the story we're trying to get to. And here's why it matters. And you know, like this is what, how it'll affect you in the future. And like, kind of like focus on that one thing. Don't go in a lot of different directions. And then related to that, I think short videos work really well for students right now. I think they're watching most of the stuff on their phones. I don't even think they're on their computers when they're watching our lectures and our videos. I can tell you that about 70% of the people who watched the video that I made, which was not a class video, but this, this Zoom video were on phones, at least according to Vimeo's stats. So you wanna make your videos pretty brief. I think it's better to break things up. You hear about micro lectures a lot. I think micro lectures is a good concept. I also think things like introductory videos or doing encouragement videos is really good. And I'm not saying they have to all be under five minutes, but just keep in mind, would you watch a 15 or 20 minute video about something that you weren't super excited about? Probably not. And I don't think a lot of students are always as excited as we are. So from a technical standpoint, get the audio right. Invest in a mic, I think it's helpful. From a composition point, think about the story, think about the focus, and then keep it pretty brief. And if you have to cut things out, that aren't necessary, just just cut them out, just cut them out. I mean, I'm not talking about ums and uhs, I'm talking about a tangent you went on about something else. Maybe it's not that important, and you can actually probably cut it out. Students might, like they're never gonna notice that you cut it out, but they'll appreciate it being shorter. I know it's kind of, it, it seems like very unacademic to say that. Keep it brief, don't go on the tangents and things like that, but I do think it helps.
0: I really think that mindset of less is more is so vital. And in fact, when I, the very first question I asked you, which of course I can't remember the question, what I remember is your answer. You took me immediately to a place. You got rid of all the superfluous stuff. And it was like, I'm taking you to a place. And that's something I've really learned a lot from my husband, Dave, that, Get rid of like the oh, I'm so nice to see you today. I'm really glad. I'm glad that we're spending time to no, th- think of a tiny, tiny thing and just start yeah. dive right in and right. and make your some of your more oh, it's great to see you. You can have that in text. You can have some of the stuff that maybe is a little bit more dense. You can break it up. Here's a two minute video about this and a paragraph about this and a little quiz. Just not—it's not even graded. It's just to test. Did you understand what we just said? And kind of breaking it up a little bit more, and thinking in terms of the arc overall versus this one thing. That's where you get to the twenty minutes, thirty minutes, fifty minutes. Whew! It's got to be good if you're going to keep attention for fifty
1: minutes. Absolutely, and Bonnie, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we're not—we're not filmmakers. So if you are doing, you know, if you want to say hi, hello, how are you, all that stuff that stuff actually it can be useful i would make that a separate video sometimes Mm -hmm. that's what i do week by week i say hey class really excited for this week here's what we'll be working on it's gonna be a lot of fun okay that's my one and a half minute video that i do and then the next video a separate video is all right in 1963 this person gave a speech to say that okay and that's why we it's important that we do this right so you make you you kind of segment you make things modular for students by the way this is really (laughs) helpful if you're going to be teaching multiple quarters or multiple semesters If you have a really long video and you have to fix one thing, it's kind of frustrating. But if you have a bunch of shorter videos that you can post for your students and you have to remove one thing because like maybe it's out of date now, much easier.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of coronavirus that I definitely want to be naming things that are happening. And we do in my class have Zoom sessions and that's where the conversations happen. And then I can do quick videos that I don't really spend any time on at all. I'm spending that ton of time on, on building a course. I don't want it to be entirely wrapped up in where we are right now because where we are going to be even a year from now, even if we're still very wrapped up in this crisis, it's still going to look different because it will have been a year and a half instead of six months. I mean, I, I, I think about that a lot, but you want to bring that current in the moment and and speaking specifically to you because i know you i know your names and that's the kind of stuff we're separating out this my relationship with you specifically this class this term from the content i'm trying to really get you curious about and engaged in
1: it's a good point and with where you can differentiate so in the zoom classes yeah connect to the students on what's happening right now whereas maybe in the videos you don't do that as much that you can reuse those videos quarter after quarter, semester after semester. But what I do, actually, the the, the first time in the spring, I was putting things like week five in my videos, week six, mm-hmm. I put that. And then when I taught in the summer, I'm like, wait a second, I only have five weeks, I gotta I gotta change all these videos, it doesn't make any sense to say week six in this video. So what I did was I replaced it with the title of the video. So I replaced it with organization, right? This is a public speaking class. And that's what I try to do in all my videos now. I try to make them, I don't want to say timeless, because timeless, there's nothing that's timeless. But I try to make it so that I can use it throughout the rest of the school year, this year. So, you know, I hate to be pessimistic about it. It's possible we'll all be, on, you know, many of us will be online. We're online now, probably online in the winter. So I want to, I want to be able to use these things again without having to totally reinvent the class.
0: I love hearing about your experience with these 52 videos and just like you said, whatever it is to allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to know that it's not possible to be perfect. So why try versus the kind of ways we can be shaped. It is really powerful when you commit to something like that. And there's lots of different ways we might experience that. And I, I think it would be fun before we get to the recommendation segment, just to have you take us all the way back to your first time teaching or early in your teaching, and what you remember about those experiences. Because when you were talking earlier, we can see you now. We can go see your videos. We probably, I'm guessing, I, well, I've looked at your Vimeo page, like the most popular ones are the ones you want to curate or like higher up on the list. Some of those yeah. failures might be hidden to us. And I think it might be encouraging to hear about some of the challenges you remember experiencing early on.
1: Yeah. My first time teaching my own class was a public speaking class at University of Texas. I was a second year grad student, and I, it was right before Labor Day. And I taught the class, taught two classes back to back. And I was so nervous. I was so sweaty. I'm a very sweaty person. You can't tell over the podcast. <laughs> uh, over the mic, but, uh, and I, I just, it didn't go as well as I wanted to, but it didn't go terribly. And I remember writing down all these things. Okay, here's what I'm going to do differently on Tuesday. Because it was a Thursday, a Tuesday, Thursday class. Had that first Thursday class. I wrote, said, okay, Tuesday, here's what I'm going to change. I'm going to change this. 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 And I had a sense of relief after that. Because I wrote these things down that I was going to work on. And I guess that was my front of first experience with like the growth mindset. You know, of thinking about, well, if I'm thinking about getting better, then it's okay if I don't do well this time and since then to be clear that was 2008 to be clear i still get nervous when i teach sometimes i've been teaching for 12 years i mean there are times i do something or say something i'm like oh god that's going to be interpreted wrong or you know I, I they didn't like that or they didn't think that was funny or i used britney spears as an example of something three or four years ago i'm like <laughs> britney spears is the oldest person in the world to my students <laughs> And I thought that was a cool example. I don't know why I said another time I used George Clooney, and I'm like, look, Andrew, you gotta you gotta update your references here. So I still get nervous. I still have those experiences, but just thinking about, yeah, that's okay. I'm gonna get better next time. That's that's what it's all about. That really helped me get over that first nerve wracking experience of teaching.
0: Before we get to the recommendations segment for today's show, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, and that is Text Expander. Text Expander, I've been using it for many, many years, and they also are the longest running sponsor here on Teaching in Higher Ed. Anyone who does what we do, and especially in the context we're doing it in today, really understands the power of being able to take back some of our time, and we can do that through text expansion services and specifically Text Expander. If you think about the repetitive typing that we do, those little mistakes, trying to search for answers, what link is it that I send people to to register for whatever that is? With Text Expander, we can take back our time and use the tool to kind of be that part of our brain, so we don't have to remember where links are, we don't have to remember our standard verbiage for things. I use it for my work phone number that I can never remember. I just type in Z. VU phone and instantly it just expands to show me the phone number that I don't think I'll ever remember because it's so easy to do with text expander. You can use it for letters of recommendation for students. You can even use it across teams so that your team could be more consistent and accurate and current updates would cascade across your entire team. I love being able to go and look at other ways that people are using Text Expander. the kinds of snippet collections that they have. A snippet is one of those little shortcuts where you type in a few letters, press the space bar, and all of a sudden it expands into something that's either hard for you to remember or something that's a lot of text that you wouldn't want to have to go try to copy and paste every single time. And so I like to go see how other people are using it. You can actually download shared snippets. They have samples up on their website and it's so fun to go see how other people are using it and to discover other ways that I can get even more power out of Text Expander. If you head over to textexpander.com/podcast, you can get 20% off your first year and please let them know that you heard about Text Expander from Teaching in Higher Ed when you visit that link you'll get off your order and also can acknowledge that uh, we're sharing a bit about them over here on Teaching in Higher Ed. Again, thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring Teaching in Higher Ed. And to everyone listening, head on over to TextExpander.com slash podcast. I'm excited about our next segment for the show. And this is maybe going to be a little predictable to people because you can tell how excited I am about Andrew's work. The first thing I wanted to recommend is that everyone, everyone, everyone go watch his How to Look Good in your online class video that we started out the show speaking about. I just think it's such a way of feeling seen. And you are hysterical. And that, I mean, it's just like you hit every note, Your your comedic timing is so perfect in that video. And I'd love for that to be sort of a road that people could take to my second recommendation. And that is to head over to your Vimeo page. There's so much there that we can learn from and glean and get better at our own videos. And the last recommendation I have has nothing to do with Andrew or his work that I know of, but you never know. Maybe there's a connection here. I don't know. Liz Masher had written to me and a former guest had recommended Kahoot, K-A-H-O-O-T. And I made a comment about that Kahoot's free plan had gotten a little bit less generous in recent months. And she said that Quizzes is something that she likes to use that has a little bit more of a generous free plan. So it's Q-U-I-Z-I-Z-Z. And I'll have that in the show notes, of course, and over on the recommendations page. I only like to recommend things that I've actually used. And so I can tell you I've not used this in a class context yet. Although I'm looking forward to it, but my six-year-old daughter is sold on Christmas. <laughs> so she she'll when her her school time is over, she often will come up and we sort of have a break before I get back to work. And so she helped me test this out the other day, and it mentioned something about having advertisements, and I thought that's what we were seeing, but they actually have a thing you can turn on or off where it's just different kinds of memes that it'll show in between questions, and it's got a lot of sort of gamification. You can level up, which I don't even know what that means in the context of this particular thing, but it just looks like a lot of fun. I like using Quizlet. That's generally where my flashcard decks are, but I think this is one worth checking out and my daughter would say the same thing if she was here too. So again, I'm going to pass it over to you, Andrew, for your recommendations.
1: All right. The first recommendation I have is a website called Trello, which I'm sure many people have heard of, but Trello is a way of organizing tasks. And okay, what are you doing, Andrew? You're, you're recommending a task organization software. Like how boring is that? Here's the, the great thing about Trello. It acts like Post-it notes. That's kind of the idea behind Trello. And I can send emails there when I don't wanna keep emails in my inbox and just go, oh, I'll do, do this later. It basically has kept me organized when I'm trying to do things like I have work, I have family life, I have creative things I'm trying to do, I have things I'm trying to do for church. And all those things combined can be overwhelming, but they have a way to make different boards. And I just think Trello is such a great organizational software. I love Trello. It's awesome, 100% recommended. That's my number one recommendation. Number two is, I just reiterate, I think it's great to have a creative hobby. I think we have this idea. We wanna turn things into side hustles. Oh, I gotta make money off of this. And oh, look, you're great at crocheting. You should sell that. No, you don't have to sell it. You could just crochet and then do that more because it's good to have hobbies. It's good to just do things that we think are fun. And when I say hobbies, I mean, when I say creative hobbies, I mean you doing the creation. So not necessarily things like reading or TV or movies, which are great. Those are things are all fantastic, but something where you create and then you can kind of keep making things. Now, if you take up crocheting, here's a problem how many doilies do you actually want, right? How many scarves do you actually want? So, you know, it's a question of like, what do you want to end up creating? So sometimes I think it's good to create things that are disposable. This is why cooking I think is a fantastic hobby. You can cook and then you can eat the food afterwards. And But anyway, that's why I, I think it's such a good thing to do.
0: Andrew, I'm so grateful to AQ for connecting us, even though I was just like, this is the moment I've been looking for. And I just hadn't gotten down. Speaking of Trello, by the way, I track yeah. Other people's recommendations as well as my own thoughts about people I'd like to have on the show. So you were already on the list, but they connected me sooner than I got down that far in the list.
1: So you you use Trello?
0: I do, yeah. I do it for a someday maybe list, which is an idea from David Allen's Getting Things Done. But don't put things that you think would be cool to do someday on your task list. Have a separate place where you can keep that so i use it for that and i love it because you can make it visual so Mm -hmm. if it's some kind of a technology i want to use i'll grab a screenshot and then put that as so i can better tell which ones i want to bubble up but i do it all different things places we would like to take the kids or things to do Mm -hmm. all kinds of different things we want to try i'm trying to think of yeah i've got actually a few boards and it's it's really really a great tool but anyway i'm so glad that we got connected today yeah,
1: oh, wait, but Bonnie, you know, you what know be funny? I just think, of, what if this video wasn't a joke, by the way? What if I was serious the whole time with this uh, Zoom video and uh, everybody took it as a joke <laughs> and I just ran with it? I just think it'd be funny if like, I was like, wait a second. I meant, I, meant <laughs> I meant every word. Totally meant it. It, I did. Just to be clear. Just I've be watched clear.
0: so many of your videos that they kind of have blurred together too, because you carry you carry that sort of theme across many of them, and you kind of have this addictive quality to them where you just want to find out more. Now I got to go watch this. Our podcast editor's name is Andrew, and so now I got to go find the video that you made about Andrew. I'm mean, Andrew. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So there's something for everyone there. Some, you wanna exactly. see someone being disgusted? Check. You want a video okay. about people named Andrew? Check, yeah. What, <laughs> exactly. Give us one more before we close that we should go. That's just oh. kind of like in the deep cut.
1: My favorite video is, uh, is Science versus Dave. So the third video I made, honestly, we were driving down to Santa Cruz. I was a little bit frustrated with the video we made the night before, because I didn't love it. And I just saw this idea on the way there. It's people on the dock arguing if atoms exist. Okay, this was made two years ago. So one guy's like, no, nah, atoms actually don't exist. He starts pulling up all these conspiracy theories. And these are my these are my buddies from college doing the acting, by the way. And it's basically, sorry if I'm, sorry if this is somehow political, it shouldn't be. It's basically like the coronavirus hoaxers of today, mm-hmm. right? It's the people who are going like, mm-hmm. oh, well, coronavirus. but what if it's not real? What if it's actually, the what are the flu? Listen, it's real. Just because you can't see it with your eyes doesn't mean it's not real, okay? And that's basically what this video is about. And if you take it now and apply it and replace the word atoms with coronavirus, it's, it's literally every Facebook conversation, mm-hmm. right? Now. So I love Science vs. Dave. That's my favorite one.
0: Oh, uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the You're show. Nice. And I'd love to have you back sometime because I feel like we just barely skimmed the surface. It's really fun Absolutely. to talk to you.
1: I'd yeah. love to come back, Bonnie. Thank you.
0: Thanks once again to Andrew Isaac for coming on today's episode and for sharing so many of these ideas and approaches to us being able to learn, teach, and satirize with video and just becoming more effective in our communication. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you'd like to visit the show notes for today's episode, they're in your podcast player already. But if you're listening some other way and want to follow up, you can head on over to teachinginhighered.com 334. You're also are welcome while you're there to sign up for the Teaching in Higher Ed update at teachinginhighered.com subscribe. When you first subscribe, you'll get a free ebook with 19 tools that are either about educational technology or productivity. And you'll also, again, receive those updates. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.